Let's go ahead and take our Bibles uh, this morning and go to Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs chapter 23. And Proverbs chapter 23, we're going to look at a couple of short sections of Scripture here. And verses 19 through 21 to start with. Proverbs 23, verse 19. Hear thou, my son, and be wise. And guide thine heart in the way. Be not among wine bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. Uh, look at verse 29. Verse 29. Who hath woe? <clears throat> who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? Uh, they that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Uh, look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. By the way, um, that last phrase in verse 31 is a reference to fermentation, when it moveth itself aright. You've ever uh, seen the process, uh, the bacteria in those great big vats will literally move uh, in a clockwise or counterclockwise uh, direction. Uh, in those vats during the fermentation process. But notice what it says in verse 32. These next three words are important. At the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Uh, when they advertise liquor, they never show you at the last. They show you at the first. Uh, do you ever notice that Miller Time and a Strolite Night are always accompanied by slim, young, energetic, vibrant, sober, young people with pearly white teeth and big smiles. They, they don't ever show you at the last. They, they never show the state trooper showing up at the wreck and seeing the mangled bodies. Uh, they never show you someone going through the DTs and withdrawal from alcohol, which, by the way, medically is more difficult and more dangerous than withdrawal from heroin. They don't show you at the last. Uh, they don't show an otherwise good dad beating his children and wife because of this stuff. But the Bible talks to us about at the last. And at the last, what happens? It biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange woman, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. Uh, they have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. Uh, they have beat me, and I felt it not. There's the contention that comes with it. There's the contention. Now, I want you to notice this last, this last phrase, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. And that shows the addictive nature of it. And again, they never take you to at the last because they're trying to sell you something. And the world always packages up sin and makes it look good. And it makes it look appealing. But they never talk to you about at the last. Now, I should be able to just close the Bible and we'll go home and what we just read should be enough. But I know I'm talking to four different kinds of people. And, and I'm not talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about believers this morning. First of all, I'm talking about 
talking to those of you that believe the book, and for you, that's good enough. For you, what we just read is good enough. And I'm here for you to reinforce what you know. I'm looking at a second group this, this morning. I don't know who you are. Most of you are younger, not all. And uh, you've gotten caught up in some of these clever little contemporary arguments that if you, if you drink as a Christian, you have more liberty. If you drink as a Christian, you have a better testimony. I mean, literally, they turn things on, on their heads. And, and what's happened is there's this little cloistered mentality of, of upwardly mobile, affluent, suburbanite Christians who are no longer burdened for the guy that is struggling with alcohol, that are no longer burdened about winning souls to Christ. Or they'd be more concerned about how it looks to them than their so-called contrived liberty. But now Christianity's been reduced to just how much of a good time I can have and how much I can enjoy my life. And of course, as we study the New Testament, we realize that that's what it's all about. That God's biggest concern is that a good time was had by all. And all kinds of neat little arguments. How you are more mature when you drink. And you're not part of the fuddy-duddy past that was so quote-unquote legalistic. Well, I'm here to reason with you this morning. There's a third group. Those of you that are tempted. You know the potential results. You, you believe what we just read. But it's still a temptation. It's still a temptation. And, and you're tempted to forget the at the last part. At the last part. Can I just be honest with you about something? I could enjoy a buzz just as much as anybody could enjoy a buzz. And I know what it is. But I've also experienced at the last. I've experienced at the last. And, and I've been able to live out some of this in chapter 23. But God was good to me and he captured me young. And delivered me from that. And delivered me from it before I started raising a family. Thank God. But I understand at the last. Uh, for you that are tempted, I, I hope this preaching will, will serve as a shield for you. It will serve as a shield for you. And then the last group. You're struggling with this. You're struggling with it. You're in a life and death struggle with this right now. And I'm hoping this morning that this message will be a help and an encouragement to you. I told Brother Titus up here, I said, I'm thinking about TJ. I'm thinking about TJ this morning. I remember more than once saying to him on the phone when he was up in Alaska and, and, and he was staying sober and he had victory uh, for weeks and then months and then a couple years. And boy, he would tell me about the drinking he had been doing. And at his age, I said, TJ, you know if you drink again, you're dead. He said, I know, preacher. I said, TJ, you can't drink again or you'll be dead. 
He said, I know, preacher. I'm preaching for TJ this morning, whoever you are. And I'm hoping you get some help. And I'm hoping you'll be encouraged this morning. Just another hour, another day, another week, another month, another year, sober. Keep it going. Keep it going. Don't get discouraged. Keep it going. For all the problems that are talked about in the, in the news, COVID, the border crisis, terrorism, Black Lives Matter, inflation, politics, who controls the Senate, who controls the House, I'm here to tell you this morning that this is arguably one of the biggest problems we got in our country. But of course, we did the smart thing years ago like we just did with, with marijuana. We legalized it, and now we collect taxes off the problem and promote the problem, and we've legalized the problem, and we have furthered the problem. Rectifying this problem could, could take care of a lot of problems in our country. It could make the roads safer. It could reduce the overall crime rate. It could reduce uh, spousal abuse. It could reduce child abuse. It could reduce molestations. It could, re it, could, it could restore a certain amount of sanity in our country. It could remove part of the curse of God on this nation. I want to talk to you for a few minutes tonight or this morning on the cost of booze. And pardon me if I'm a little scattered. I've got more here than I got time to say it. And to be honest with you, I'm pretty worked up about this. And if you got a problem with this, I, I don't dislike you. I don't hate you. I love you. My heart goes out to you. But I hate this stuff. I hate this stuff. So I want to talk to you about the cost of booze. The Bible says, Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood and establisheth a city by iniquity. Woe to him that giveth his neighbor drink that putteth the bottle, putteth thy bottle to him and makest him drunken also. The cost of booze. Number one, look at verse 21. The cost in currency. The cost in currency. I've talked to more than one guy that had been an alcoholic for a long time that wished he could have back all the money that he spent on, on liquor over the years. With interest. I remember working with the pipe fitters uh, back in the late 80s uh, up in um, Zion, Illinois, north, northwest, northeast corner of Illinois at that nuclear power plant. And, and um, for tradesmen, we were making money hand over fist. And, and a lot of those guys, not a lot of them, but there were a, there were a certain percentage of those guys, their wives got their checks. And you say, why was that? Part of it was a gambling problem. Part of it was a drinking problem. Because if the wives didn't get the check, there may not have been a check by the time they got a check. If you understand what I'm saying. There's a story of Mel Trotter back in the uh, late 1800s who was to many a hopeless alcoholic who eventually got saved and started a lot of rescue missions and won a lot of people to Christ. But he said the low point in his life with alcohol was when he, when he was looking at his, his little baby's crib and considered taking the shoes off of that baby and selling those shoes to get another shot of whiskey because he was out of money. How many families are on welfare because of the bottle? God only knows what America spends on alcohol every year. 
It's in the, it's in the billions. And then when you consider the collateral damage to society and the costs, the indirect costs, it's in, inestimable. It, it, it can't be estimated. But we got state-run liquor stores, and we're collecting the taxes on it. Oh, and, and, now, the, and now the Christians have gotten real clever about it, so it's okay now. It's, it's mature behavior now. Says who? Says who? Some clever little punk backslider on the internet running a blog that doesn't have 10 minutes of real life experience in these matters? That's never tried to help an alcohol out of his, alcoholic out of his problem? Is that who said it's okay? Is that where some of you young people are getting these ideas that as soon as you turn 18, as soon as you graduate, you're getting the blank out of here because you want to have some liberty and you want to be really mature? Is that what's going on? In downtown Seattle, who wants to bring up downtown Seattle? I'll do it. They're spending $11 million on permanent housing for homeless alcoholics. And by the way, most of the homeless problem is a drug and alcohol problem. Call it what you want. It's a drug and alcohol problem. I've talked to a couple of doctors. I've talked to a couple of advanced practice nurses. One guy in another church I preached in a year ago, and he, he said he works with these people. He said it's a drug problem. It's an alcohol problem. Seattle taxpayers were fed up with spending $50,000 per year per alcoholic on recovery programs, prison, and emergency room visits. The new solution is 1811 Eastlake, a housing complex that accommodates 75 alcoholics. The residents are allowed to drink all they want, and they don't have to be in a recovery program as long as they're off the streets. Bill Hobson, the program's executive director, believes most alcoholics cannot change. He says, once you're an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic. Let me say this to you. If you're an alcoholic and you trust Christ as your Savior, you're not an alcoholic anymore. You're a Christian. Now, I don't agree with this conclusion, but I'm going to say this. What he's saying and what they're doing shows the cost of it and the hold that it can have on people. Let's talk about casualties. Look at verses 31 and 32. You say, oh, preacher, I, I read this thing over here where... Early Christians drank, drank some water that was mixed with wine. Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We know you're really clever, okay? But you might want to still open your ears during this part of the sermon, okay? Verse 31, casualties. Verse 32, casualties. Casualties. The Japanese had a saying, man, take drink. Drink, take drink. Drink, take man. Someone once said, drunkenness is voluntary madness. Voluntary madness. If you ever go to Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago, and you drive by it, and you look at the parking lot, more often than not, unless they've just cleaned it, but more often than not, the, the, the asphalt parking lot will look like glistening grass. Green. You know what it's from? It's from all the, the broken wine and whiskey bottles out there. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've been there and give my testimony. 
Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And alcohol is no respecter of persons when it comes to casualties. Alexander the Great died weeping in a drunken stupor. Edgar Allan Poe, Hank Williams, athletes, entertainers, politicians, preachers, physicians, kings, presidents, and paupers. Read a book not too long ago called The Last American Boy on Mickey Mantle. You know what got Mickey Mantle? Alcohol. Robert Hall called it distilled damnation. Lord Chesterfield said it's an artist in human slaughter. General Pershing said drunkenness has killed more men than all of history's wars. And that's a fact. Man, I remember during the late 60s and the early 70s and the mid-70s, all the protesting going on about the Vietnam War. Do you know how many boys we lost in Vietnam? We lost right at 80,000. You know how many die on our roads every year in America directly related to alcohol? 100,000, give or take. Where are the protesters? Where are the protesters? Robert E. Lee said, my experience through life has convinced me that the abstinence of spiritous liquors is the best safeguard to morals and health. President Taft said, he who drinks is deliberately disqualifying himself from advancement. And, and for you big Donald Trump fans, and I voted for him, let's not get off track. He's never drank alcohol. He's never drank alcohol. You see, abstinence, listen carefully, those of you that spend a lot of time on the internet with the really clever, liberated, really mature Christians, abstinence according to the word of God, abstinence according to history, abstinence according to common sense is not a sin. So I'm not repenting of it. If that makes me uncool in your eyes, then so be it. Because I'm pro if, if inventory was taken, I'm probably way cooler than you anyways. <laughs> Cirrhosis of the liver, heart problems, cancer, diabetes. If you look at verse 4, you see the crow's nest. And if you've ever experienced it, it's not fun. It's not fun at all. There's a lot of humor connected to it with jokes and stuff. The story goes that the judge in court said, now this was a bad accident. Four of you were in the car when it went off the highway and you were all intoxicated, but the man behind the, the wheel is the one that we're trying today. And it goes on to say, which one of you was driving? No, no, none of us, Your Honor. We, we, we were all in the back seat. <laughs> Unfortunately, that story is true when you hear about the wrecks that you hear about. Cars going out of control, young people getting the keys, young people getting into, you know where I got my first drinks? I got them out of my folks' liquor cabinet. Now, they weren't drinkers per se. They weren't. They were lost Roman Catholics, and they weren't drinkers per se, but they had it there for guests every once in a while. But I discovered it. I also discovered how much whiskey, how much uh, brandy and how much vodka you could steal if you just add water where you took the booze out. I think some of their 80 proof stuff was down to about 30 proof in the end. 
Sports are replete with careers that were snuffed out before they started. Pelly Lindbergh died in his vehicle, inebriated. Gabe Revere, I remember we were living in Pennsylvania, and the Steelers uh, drafted this guy named Gabe Revere. He's going to be the next mean Joe Green. And man, he looked like it. His college career, his college career suggested it. And the summer between his first season and his last season in college and his first season in pro, got in a car wreck. They showed him, they showed him on, the, on the sidelines that year, about three games into the season, sitting in a wheelchair. And one of the commentators says, doesn't he look good? I, I don't think Gabe thought he looked good. I, I don't think he felt good knowing he was supposed to be out on the field. And he had to sit there in that wheelchair because of that accident directly related to alcohol. I, I tell you what we need. We need, we need more of the, uh, the women in this country. I, I'm sorry. Too many of the men have gone to sleep on this. The preachers have all gone to sleep on this. The only ones that ever wake up once in a while are the moms. Mothers against drunk driving. That, that's why we no longer have um, a DWI driving while intoxicated. We have DUI driving under the influence. Because enough moms got sick and tired of going to their kids' funerals. And they got mad about it. We need more Christians getting mad about it. Casualties. Casualties. And then look at verse 29. Look at the contention. Look at the contention in verse 29. It'll wreck your marriage. It'll wreck your marriage. I remember in Pennsylvania as a young preacher, I had, a, I had to buy my first, I didn't have a pistol. And this guy was, we were dealing with, he, he was an alcoholic and he, was, he, he had been beating his wife and his children, threatening him. Finally, the last straw that uh, broke the camel's back in their families, he had a, a, a loaded pistol to his teenage son's head. I knew the boy, he was in our church. His mom was in our church. This guy threatened everybody in court, including me, and so I got my wife a, I got my wife a pistol. I, I know I was, I was stupid. I didn't know what I was doing. I just went to the gun shop. This little town we were in, Shalakta, Pennsylvania, it had two Presbyterian churches. It had our little Baptist church. It had a post office and three gun shops. <laughs> so you could tell, tell where we were at on the Second Amendment. And I went into this gun shop, and I was telling the guy what I needed. I didn't have much money. And uh, I said, I just need a used, a used pistol for my wife. And his police officer walked in, and he was getting rid of his 357 Magnum. <laughs> and the guy looked at me, and he said, well, how big is your wife? Oh, she's big. She's sturdy. She can. <laughs> she, was about, she honestly was about 95 pounds. I don't even know how she bore children for me. And, and I, it was just the right price and everything. It had, it had the cop's leather holster and everything there. So I bought that for her. And, um, you know, <laughs> I just told her, I said, I, I showed her how to use it. I, she fired it a couple times without bullets in it because I didn't want her to know what it would do with bullets. <laughs> and, and I just told her, I said, honey, he, you know, if this guy comes in and we all know who he was and everything, I said, you just shoot him. And I, I knew she, it would have probably launched her halfway across that little trailer we were living in, but, 
But I, I've seen that. I've seen the contention. I, I went to visit the man in the hospital whose wife blew off his kneecap with the shotgun, both under the influence of alcohol. Contention, folks. Contention. How much divorce is fueled by drink? Only God knows. According to statistics, we have 3.3 million American teenagers that are alcoholics right now. Every 30 minutes, 1,300 teenagers get drunk, and eight die each day as a result of drinking and driving. Uh, folks, you know, and I'll get, I'll get to those of you that are really clever here in a second, but you know, even if you're real clever and you've figured out why, why you can drink as a Christian and, and God's gonna bless you for it, even if you're that clever, you ought to start thinking about those people. You ought to start, you ought to start thinking about those people. You ought, you ought to start thinking about uh, America's growing alcohol problem. You, you know what I found? And, and I got statistic after statistic. I wish I could read for you, but like I said, everybody's worried about COVID. Everybody's worried about the border. Everybody's worried about inflation. Why isn't anybody worried about Everybody's worried about the opioid crisis, and rightfully so. Why isn't anybody worried about this? Oh, yeah, we legalized it, and we're collecting taxes for it. And uh, now it's okay. And now it's okay. Oh, yeah, and the really clever Christians have said it's okay, too. Where are the protests? Where are the angry people? Somebody ought to get angry about this. Somebody ought to get mad about this. I don't even have time for all that. Contention. How about consecration? Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. You know, and you know weed's legal now, so you know, pretty soon we're going we're gonna to have the, this problem. We're going to have this problem. You know, well, my, my, you know, my kids, they don't want to go to this church anymore because it's not cool, and, or my grandkids or whatever. You, you, might, you might check what they're doing for recreation. Because I'll tell you what, in, in, in the right definition of cool, this is a cool church. This is a really cool church. You're getting the straight stuff from the King James Bible. I, we got middle school kids going to winter camp this year. Winter camp? When I grew up, winter camp? Are you kidding me? Winter camp? I didn't even get to go to summer camp. I didn't even get to go to summer camp. Summer camp, winter camp, missions trips, foreign countries. This is a pretty cool church. This is a pretty cool church in all the right ways. You might check what your kids are doing for recreation. You might check what they're inhaling on the internet, and I don't mean pornography. I mean spiritual pornography that tells them that sin is okay and that you need to repent of your abstinence. I'm not making that up. That's what they believe. I've told you before, li listen. Listen, you can, you can navigate in this world without participating in the sacrament, and you'll have a more effective testimony with the lost. This cloistered, upwardly mobile, suburbanite, wealthy group of Christians that only care about their own well-being have created this little theology that says it's okay, and that's because they gave up 
on winning anybody else to Christ a long ago before they developed these clever little arguments. If you care about the lost, if you witness to the lost, if you get your hands dirty with the lost, if you roll up your sleeves and try to win them to Christ and help them get off the alcohol, then you'll be against it too. And you'll be more careful about your testimony. The body of Christ started accepting alcohol when the body of Christ quit caring about lost souls. That's when it happened. And then abstinence just became a so-called legalistic vestige of a bygone era that some can't wait to get rid of. Let me tell you something. You're working with people that drink. If you drink in front of them, you have no testimony with them. And you can navigate through that world and, and not drink and, and have their respect. I'm with these hockey players all the time. I call that beer they have after the game, I call it the sacrament. The sacrament. And I don't participate in the sacrament, and I'm, and I'm still welcome to play hockey with them, and their ears are open to what I have to say about Jesus Christ. Because if I drank with them, even if it was just a couple of sips from the sacrament, then the ones that have a drinking problem would look at me and, and figure I have the same problem they have. Any of these clever arguments about, well, you know, we, we do it really, you know, we're doing it to win others. It's just the opposite, folks. I got an article here I wish I could read to you, written by a gal in 2014 in Christianity, Christianity Today uh, magazine. It says, why I gave up alcohol. And she had heard all the arguments why you should be able to drink. And by the way, the alcohol that they drank in the Old Testament was sub-alcoholic alcohol. The wine was sub-alcoholic, and most of it was for the sake of being able to drink clean water. Use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. It was a 20 to 1 diluted wine, 5% put in the water. You'd have had to have to drink an ocean of it to get drunk. And then you'd have kidney failure from the water. It was sub-alcoholic. Everything we drink in our society would be considered strong drink in the Old Testament. Your hard liquors are 40 and 50%. Your brandies are 20%. Most of your wines are 9 to 11%. One of those wines is 20%. And your beers is in the 4 to 7% range. None of it would qualify for that in the Old Testament. So she knew all the clever arguments, and she had liberty, and she was mature until her and her husband started in a ministry to help people in the inner city. And guess what they begin to see? They begin to see the alcoholism. They, they begin to hear the loud music in, in the apartment above them and below them and next door at 3 in the morning. They, they heard the crashing furniture. Uh, she would have to climb over someone's body at 11 in the morning, drunk, passed out on the steps just to go get her mail. And she said, pretty soon I couldn't go to the liquor store and buy this stuff for fear that one of them would see me. And they became abstainers. You know why? She said it in one word, charity. 
How about that? You know what I've noticed about this modern Christianity? Where they take over churches where the blood, sweat, and tears of conservative Christians built everything that's there, and then they, they unceremoniously boot them out of the church and say, if you don't like it, lump it, and turn the church into a big party. You know what I notice about that crowd? They have literal, literal, little or no charity for anybody else but themselves. This gal and her husband had some charity, so they quit. John MacArthur writes an article called The Young, Restless, and the Reformed. Something interesting. Here he starts out by saying, abstinence is a, a sin deemed, uh, is deemed a sin to be repented of. But I thought this was interesting. He brings up a guy named Darren Patrick who helped pioneer. Are you ready for this ministry? Are you ready for this? We got to get this at the secretaries. We got to get this in the bulletin for next week. Theology at the Bottle Works. They have drink and think sessions where you sit around. You don't go to the coffee shop. You go to the bottle works and you have a couple, have a couple brewskis and talk Calvinism. It's real edifying. And here's what, here's what Darren Patrick, who's a, a help, who helped pioneer the theology at the bottle works, acknowledges uh, about the gravity of another problem they're starting to see. As quote, I quote him, as I coach and mentor church planners and pastors, I am shocked at the number of them who are either addicted or headed toward addiction to alcohol. You're shocked? What did we just read? At the last, at the last. See, these really clever people don't look at it at the last. He says this, increasingly the same is true with prescription drugs. One pastor I know could not relax without several beers after work and could not sleep without the aid of a sleeping pill. In biblical times, wine was necessary for health reasons. The risk of amoeba and parasites and drinking water could be significantly reduced or eliminated by mixing the water with a little wine. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, the result was a greatly diluted wine that had virtually no potential for making anyone drunk. Purified tap water and refrigeration make even that use of wine unnecessary today. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 5. I wish I could read you more of this, but I'll leave it at that. Ephesians chapter 5, and look at verse 18. Back, no, back up to, uh, back up to verse 16, because this is all contextual here. He says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And by the way, Look, I don't care roaring drunk. I don't care buzzed. You're not redeeming the time when you're drinking. Okay? You're not redeeming the time. That's not happening. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Look at verse 18. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. Oh, just as long as we don't drink it in excess. No, the excess is in the wine. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. That's the strong drink that the Bible warns you about. Here, here's a good idea, but be filled with the Spirit. By the way, you can't be buzzed and filled with the Spirit at the same time. Notice I'm saying buzzed. I'm not saying drunk. We don't have to go there. Just buzzed. Just stupid. Okay? 
You know that stupid feeling you get uh, for the first 15 minutes or so uh, as, as you start getting drunk, buzzed. You can't be filled with the Spirit when you're doing that. So I just throw that out to the really clever people. See what you want to do it, do, do with it. Oh, and by the way, next time you're drinking, next time you're at the bar being a great testimony for Christ, uh, bow your head over the beer and have a word of prayer. And pray loud so everybody knows you're thanking God for it. You know what the best policy is? Best policy, if you care about anybody else, if you care about your family, if you care about the lost around you, if you care about your testimony for Jesus Christ, the best policy is abstinence. That's the best policy. You say, well, somebody will, somebody will think I'm a legalist. No, you're, you're not really worried about that. You're, you're just, you just want, don't want God horning in on your fun. Because Christianity has become all about you. And it's what you get out of it. It's what you get out of it. And you think the only thing God's concerned about is that a good time was had by all. I got news for you. He ain't worried about that. God's more worried about your holiness than your happiness. Now, you get holy, you'll get happy. You get holy, you'll get happy. But he's way more concerned about your holiness than your happiness. So all this modern nonsense about, you know, well, we got true liberty, and we're really the mature ones. You abstainers, you know, you guys are in the dark ages. You don't get it. You don't have a testimony. You don't have a witness. None of these people are soul winners, folks. They're not soul winners. They're not sitting at the bar drinking a brewski with the lost and handing them tracts and telling them about Jesus. If you think that, you're hallucinating. You're swallowing the bait hook, line, and sinker. They're just rationalizing an excuse for their sin. One last text. Go to, uh, go to Leviticus chapter 10 and we'll be done. I'm sorry if this has been all over the place. I got, I got more here than I got time to say it. But take a look here at Leviticus chapter, chapter 10 and look at verse 9. Do not drink wine nor strong drink. The Levites in the ministry were forbidden even the even the sub the sub part the sub alcoholic wine. He says, "Do not drink wine." Just like a Nazarite was denied the sub alcoholic wine. He says, "Do not drink wine nor strong drink, uh, thou nor thy sons with thee, when you go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. It should be a statute forever throughout your generations, that you may put difference between the holy and the unholy, and between the unclean and the clean." So someone say, "Well, yeah, that's 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 for the priest. That's that's for the really important guy in the temple." All right, doesn't Peter say that we are kings and priests unto God? Doesn't Peter tell us we are a royal priesthood? Doesn't Paul tell us that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit? Here's a mother to a son. Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, or for princes strong drink. Lest they drink and forget the law, and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Good advice. Stay away from the stuff. Keep serving God in an old-fashioned, Bible-believing church that still clouds up and rains against your sin. Because when it quits, 
You can get sucked into it, and then you can find out what some of us found out the hard way. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, I just ask that you would take these words and use them to your glory and honor. Lord, help those of us that, that know the truth, believe the truth, and adhere to this, uh, not to be swayed, not to even question whether the biblical stand is the right stand. Father, help those that have gotten clever and uh, help them to realize the fallacy of false practical doctrine, Lord. Help those, Lord, that are tempted this morning. They're tempted. I, I get that, Lord. I get that. I, I, there's a lot of times, especially when the, the stress is on, the pressure's on, I could, I could enjoy just checking out, medicating, getting a buzz. Shield them, Lord. Shield them. And Lord, I pray especially this morning as I think of my old buddy TJ, Father. Think how many times we talked on the phone. And the times he had the victory. And how the devil's spit got him. Father, pray if there's anybody like that here this morning, looking in or here, that you'd help them, encourage them. Rescue them. Give them victory in Jesus Christ. Help them to take it an hour at a time, a day at a time, a week at a time, a month at a time. Stay sober a year at a time. Help those of us that are parents and grandparents, Lord, to be diligent about these matters. and Don't start giving into this junk like this current generation of Christians has, but to Stand and to help them, help them to see, help them understand, show them the truth. Let's start swaying ourselves, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. I know there's many of us here this morning that would thank you for taking us out of that thing and giving us what we've got. We don't deserve it. It's only by your grace we live through the whole experience. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 405. Number 405.
Brother Doty, would you come on up here and close us in a word of prayer? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Fathers, we thank you, Father, for your word and your truth and the wisdom of what we just heard, Father. Lord, may we all set that seal into ourselves and our children and our grandchildren and ourselves. And Father, keep away from this thing, Father, that can ruin lives, testimonies, Lord, everything. Father, we need to be filled with the Spirit, and Father, let us walk so and be filled. Guide and direct us as we leave this building. And Father, let us take forth the word of life that changes lives instead of damning lives like alcohol does. Thank you again, God, for being so gracious. Thank you for preacher's message. And Lord, thank you for working in our lives. You're never done. Lord, we're just a bunch of sinners. Father, we hear the word of God and we hear the truth in it. And the spirit bears witness with us, Lord. Thank you again, God, for your grace and your mercy towards us. Father, now be with us today as we go. And let us, Father, have a reason to give the hope that lies within us as we leave this building. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.